0: Doctrine divides, but love conquers all. I was sitting in a concert um, just a few years ago. Famous Christian artist, you'd all know who they were, and it was awesome. We were doing some singing, like we were just singing, and we were all praising God. And right in between the songs, here's what he said. He goes, "Man, isn't this, this great here tonight? We are all together, different Christians." Different churches, different denominations, all worshiping God. And we all cheered, went, yeah. He said, in this greatest, it's like a picture of Revelation 7 and and other chapters in Revelation, like someday we'll all be sitting at the feet of Jesus and, and we'll all be around the throne and we'll just be worshiping. And we all went, yeah. And then he made that statement, yeah. He said, Doctrine divides, but love unites. And everybody said, yeah. And I said, singers say, what? Because I was raised by Harold Wilmington. And I said, I know what you mean, I understand the sentiment. Is there teaching that divides Christians sometimes in some stupid ways? Yes? Yeah, people fight over
1: stupid
0: things and they divide churches. First Baptist, Second Baptist, Third Baptist, Fourth Baptist. You drive through these little tiny towns sometimes. I've driven through this one little town in North Carolina. First Baptist, Second Baptist, Third Baptist. <clears throat> Somebody fought about something. And so, I understand that. But church, we are living in dark days. And it is important to know what we believe. Doctrine doesn't just divide. Doctrine should be the foundation of what we're standing on. And so don't be afraid of the word doctrine. As Jonathan said, we're going to be studying this for the next few weeks. And some of you go, oh great, you know, maybe I'll find something good on the internet to watch. No. Stay with it. Be disciplined. Because if you don't know what you're standing on, like this week with the ice and the snow, you're going to slip and fall. And so know what you believe. Doctrine doesn't have to divide. And love does unite, but only if you're united around the true things. Doctrine just means teaching. Theology. Oh, these theologians. Oh, the theology I don't know the theology. Well, you should. Theology is a good word, right? Theologos. Theology in Greek is just theo means God. Logos is word, study. I mean, you got the notes right there on the app, right? Follow along with me. I'm going to cover a lot today. You may want to dig back through and make sure my doctrine's okay. But theology just means that. And so it's not doctrine isn't like an internet troll that's hounding you. And I just want to, I want to ignore it. Let's get on to the good stuff, the love stuff. No, no, no. You can't go there if you don't know what love is. It's kind of like if you're building a house. My friend Doug Randlett years ago built a log cabin, a log home. Well, actually, he didn't build anything. His friend Phil Welling built it, and it was a wonderful, beautiful little house. Well, if we were going to build a house today, what would we do, especially a log, a log house? Well, so the first thing we would do is we would go get logs, and we would pick good logs, not diseased like old and decrepit and, and maybe broken or fractured or, you know, maybe there's an infestation in it. You wouldn't want a log that is old, uh, well, old and strong, but you wouldn't want something that was falling apart. You'd get beams and, and wood and, you know, two-by-fours and building resources, laying out their materials, laying out on the field. But then you can't just sit there and go, wow, those are some good-looking logs. I mean, that's a good material I got from, from Lowe's and, you know, from Home Depot there. Then what do you have to do? Secondly, you have to construct it. You have to attach The lumber together, you have to raise the house so that it is strong and secure. Church, all that is, is theology. That's doing theology. First of all, we have to pick the right teachings. We've got to make sure, no, not that teaching, yes, this teaching, I need to check this teaching out. Then, once you have the teachings, then you have to say, well, how do they fit together? And fortunately, they fit together pretty good. And so, that's what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. We're going to dig into what is doctrine, and we're going to talk about uh, the core teachings, the core doctrines of the faith. Now, let me lay out real quick, too, let me remind us that not all teachings that we hear rise to the same level. Uh, a lot of Bible teachers and theologians talk about there's three levels or three orders of teaching. Al Mohler says it this way, he says, number one, there's core beliefs. So, core beliefs are absolutes to be Christian, and denial is apostasy. Well, he's an apostate because he doesn't… Well, be careful. Apostate is someone who's who's denying the absolutes. In other words, if you believe these things we're going to talk about, you are in the house of Christianity. This goes back 2,000 years. Yes, there has been debates along the way. But these go back to what Paul says, I received these early on and I'm passing them on to you and it's been passed on for 2,000 years. This is Jesus is Lord, right? Jesus is God and man. Jesus is coming back. There's a heaven and there's a hell. This is the word of God. There is an eternity. Uh, There's core doctrines that we hold tightly onto. So, number one. Number two, there are convictions. And convictions are beliefs they're teachings. They're not unimportant, but they're not like the core beliefs. They do divide believers, churches, and denominations sometimes. And this would be like a first and a second Baptist, maybe. Or, or it would be we are in the house of Christianity, but there's a teaching where we're not seeing eye to eye, and so you're going to move into the, the family room, and I'm going to stay in the bedroom. And we'll see each other, and we'll come out and, you know, have parties together, whatever. But, but we're going to live separate. Maybe you're on the first floor, and I'm on, I'm on the second floor. We don't quite see eye to eye, but they're, they're still, we're still in the house of Christianity. Number three is opinions. The third level of doctrines or teachings, these are just opinions, and boy, do we have opinions today. Christians disagree, but they remain in fellowship. This is kind of like the seats or the furniture in the house. So, if the first one is core beliefs, you're, you're not even in the house. You're not even in Christianity. Second beliefs are, you're, you're in Christianity, but we really have some secondary uh, di- disagreements. This one is, we're all in the room. You're sitting up in the balcony, which I like those seats up there. You're sitting up there, and you all are sitting underneath the balcony. And some of you are sitting down front here. We're all in the room. We just have some different perspectives on the, the teaching. Does that make sense? And so make sure you understand that not everything rises to the same level. So when we talk or debate, people debate about things like uh, the gifts of the Spirit. Do you speak in tongues or not? Can there be healings or not? Um, can a woman stand up here and preach? Uh, how do we dunk up in the booth? You know, is it <clears throat> one time, three times, forward, backwards? What is it? Do they go down? Do we flicker? There are teachings... That aren't unimportant, listen to me, but they don't rise to the level of core beliefs. And we better be careful that we don't divide ourselves over secondary or third level things because, folks, it's getting dark out there. And we better circle the wagons in a good way. We better say, this is our house and we're in it and we can watch each other's back. You are a theologian. You are a theologian. If you know God, if you've read about God, if you've studied, unless you're just a pure atheist, and I say, you don't, know, I don't touch it at all, you are a theologian. You are a God studier. And so it's not a question, are you? It's a question of, are you doing it properly? And I'll say one word to those of you who use the word, you are deconstructing. A lot of Christians or people today, you'll hear, they say, I'm deconstructing. What that means is that they've had bad teachings in their lives. And I hesitate to say, but how many of you have heard some bad teachings in your life? Okay, a lot of people. Hopefully not here, but you've got some bad teachings. There are are some beams in the house that are a little rotted out, aren't they? You said, that was not good. So it is good to pull out the bad teaching. But be very careful, those of you who call yourselves deconstructors, don't blow up the house, right? Throw out the furniture if you need to. Move some walls if you need to. But if you're a christian and if you've been in the christian faith be careful that you're not jettisoning the whole house because we've got to understand the levels the last thing i'd say on this is be careful today as pastor jonathan said earlier we got to know what we believe and it's what it's based on beware today therapeutic theology our world is filled with therapeutic theology therapeutic theology is well i feel well i think well i don't think my god would ever Great. And then the person next to you feels something different. Don't pick a teaching that makes you feel good. God did not come to make us feel good, did He? He came to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable, right? So watch out for therapeutic, tickling ears, therapeutic theology. So let's look at the first beam, the most important one that we could really hold on to. And actually, it's it's not the log, it's the whole foundation of the house. God is a trinity. And I want us to read the Thomas Rhodes statement on this that comes. We didn't get together. Uh, Dr. Falwell didn't write this, you know, years ago. This, This isn't something that the pastors have come up with or the deacons. This comes out of God's Word. This is historic Christianity. So read the statement with me out loud, church. And by the way, if you don't believe this yet, I'm not asking you to read it or say it if you don't believe it. But I want us who are in this house to be able to say this. So read it out loud with me. We affirm our belief in one God, infinite spirit, creator and sustainer of all things, who exists eternally in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. These three are one in essence, but distinct in person and function. Okay, so what does that mean? And you can dig into this study, as he said, in the start book uh, on the app. We'll have some more uh, scriptures here. But let's just read what this means. It's about the Trinity. And let's start by just touring the scriptures. We're going to go from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 today and see what the Bible says. Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God created man in His own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. God saw all that He had made and it was very good indeed. Let's get an introduction to God. Who is he, this this trinity? Well, number one in this passage, we see that God is a person. God is one person. Throughout the Old Testament, this is very clear to the Jews, the Shema passage of Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. We are monotheists. There is one God, and his name is Jehovah Elohim. Uh, Throughout the Old Testament, the Hebrew words are Adonai, sometimes Lord, or or you will see that word uh, Elohim or El Shaddai, it's different combinations. 2,600 times Elohim, God. His name for Himself also, 6,500 times, is Jehovah. That's that kind of secret, mysterious name of God that's the I Am, the, the internal, the deep name of God, Jehovah, Yahweh. Those are the names of God, that's who God is, and He is a person. He's not a mist, He's not a fog, He's not an idea, He's a person like you and I are persons. But let me tell you who He's not. God is not Buddha, and God is not Allah, and God is not Ra, or Brahma, or Pangu, or Jumong or Zeus, or for you Marvel fans, He's not Thor, okay? You say, well, how do you know? If you study each of those small g gods, they don't look anything like Jehovah God. I mean, honestly, their personalities are not the same as Jehovah God. And so it's not the same person. If you're worshiping Allah, you're not worshiping Jehovah. It's not that we're all crawling up the mountain, climbing the mountain, and God's up there, and we're all coming up from different sides. We have different perspectives. And then we get up there, oh, he was all the same person all along. Well, that's not what the God of the Bible says. He says, I am different from other gods. And so the personality is different. Let me tell you, uh, tell, tell you who else God is not. God is not a cloud. God is not that beautiful tree. God is not a cute little puppy. Right? We're not pantheists. God is not in everything. God is everywhere, but He is not everything. If God is everything, then He's nothing. And one last thing God is not you. We are not little gods. I don't care what the TV preacher said. I don't care what the internet teacher said. Well, we're all little gods. You see, if you read Psalms 82, and then Jesus quotes it in John 10, he says, you are little gods. That's not what that passage means. Come to me afterwards, I'll explain it to you, right? Or or, or email us. But we're not little gods. There is only one God. Secondly, look at the words created and good. Notice that when God says in the beginning, he just says God. He doesn't give us, give us an apologetic. He doesn't give us 14 reasons we should believe him. He just starts with, I am God. He says, is he asking us to keep, you know, to kind of check our brains at the door? No. There's lots of facts and apologetic about who God is. But God just starts with faith. He goes, I am God. I don't have to prove myself to you. I exist. And what did I do? I created. Just look around you. There is natural revelation. God created. Our God is not a lazy God. He's not just a kick back in the chair God. He actually does something. He created everything that exists. There's no matter or substance anywhere in the universe or any other universe that did not come from the mind, the mouth, and the hand of God. Secondly, there you see the word good. We see what kind of creator He is. He could have been a bad creator. Some of y'all are students, right? College students. You're a student. You're just a bad student, right? You don't do good homework or turn in good papers. God turns in good papers. God does good work. Eleven times in Genesis 1 and 2, you see the little Hebrew word tov. Tov is the word good. God creates something and he says, that's good. Creates it, that's good. Creates it, that's good. Everything God does is good. He's very concerned. And by the way, when he sees something that is not good in Genesis... He says, I need, to, I need to do something else there. We have a God that wants things to be good. He wants you to be good. Three other words talk about Him. The words said, image, and blessed. Said, image, and blessed shows us that God is not only a person, but He is personal. He's personable. He could have been, like the deist said, he could have been God. He's a person, but he's out there eons away, and he doesn't care. He doesn't connect with us. No, our God is infinite, but he's also intimate. He's close. Look at that word said, God said. In the beginning, he says, let us make man. This is important, church family. You need to understand something. Jehovah, our God, talks. You have a talking God. He's not a volcano like we've seen in the last few days that is over on some island and he doesn't speak and he trembles and then he spews smoke out. He's like, oh, it's God, we're afraid of him. Our God talks. He opens up his mouth and speaks. By the way, if God talks, you better listen, right? You better know what he said. This is why Satan attacks God in this way when he's tempting Eve. The very first question the first words out of uh, Satan's mouth to Eve is what? Did God, did he really say this? Did God say that? Why? Satan is attacking the speech, the talking of God, because talking shows that he's personal. He's immediately trying to break that trust and that relationship. Second word their image. God's image. We were created in the image of God. We are God's selfie. We are his self-portrait. This is a mysterious phrase. We read it here in Genesis 1 and 2 and 5, in Genesis 9, but we're created in the image of God. By the way, your cat was not created in the image of God, I can assure you of that. The whales weren't created in the image of God, the trees are not in the image of God, the angels weren't created in the image of God. But in some way, there was. we are coded, we are downloaded, we are the design, we are the recipe of what God is. We are His image. We're talking about life groups today. Why do we do group life? Because God Himself is a group, and we are in His image, and He wants relationships, and we need relationships. And then that last word, blessed. Blessed. See, God could have created everything good, and He could have given us a bunch of commands and said, do that, and I'll see you you when you get home, you know, 80 years from now, and we'll do some stuff together. No, God says, I want to Bless. And God blesses from Genesis 1 all the way through Revelation. He's blessing people. You don't bless someone unless you are a caring person, unless you're an intimate person, unless you want the best for them. So our God is personal. And last of all, look at the words spirit and us. Spirit and us. In the beginning, God created. Verse 2, and the spirit was a spiritual drone hovering over the waters, getting ready to pull it all together. Wait a minute, who's the spirit? I thought God was in verse 1. Well, who else is there? And then he says this little word, us. Let us make man in our image. And he repeats that in chapter 1 and in chapter 5 as well. He uses this language. In Genesis 11, God will say, let us go down to look at this building project called the Tower of Babel. Who's he talking to? Is this a majestic we? Sometimes in uh, literature, remember the movie for you old-timers, remember The, the King and I? Remember Yule Brenner? And he was this king, and he's like, he'd walk around and he would use plural. We will go today, and we will eat lunch today, and we will do this, and we… Who are you talking to, Yul? Yeah. He's, he's using a plural, a majestic name. But God doesn't… That's not really what we see in, in uh, Asian and Eastern cultures like that. God is not talking to the angels, let us make man in our image, because we're not made in the image of angels. So what is it? God is talking to himself, who is a trinity. God is three people. Interesting construct there. There are the verbs and the nouns are plural and singular. God uses plural and singular words and mixes them to show us something. Now let me make a dramatic statement, because God is a trinity. But the Bible does not explicitly teach the Trinity. So that's it, Martha. Grab the kids. We're getting out of this church. I do. No. What I mean is, you won't read Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says, now let me explain the Trinity. There wasn't a moment one day where Jesus sat on a mountainside and said, yea, verily, let me explain, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity. He doesn't explain it. He just implies it, and all through Scripture, you see the Trinity is there. By the way, this is a teaching that goes back to the early church. Don't let people tell you, well, they didn't believe that till the third century or the fourth century, you know, church council, and somebody decided, no. It was always all the way back through. And Why? Because it was in Scripture. So God is one, but He's three, but He's one, but He's three, and then our heads explode. Now, there's a lot of bad examples of what the Trinity is. But let me give you a couple decent ones. First of all, we've got this this triangle. And sometimes this is in a Celtic knot. You'll see it because Celtic stuff is cooler, right? But a Celtic knot that interweaves. But notice a triangle. It has three sides, three points, uh, three angles. The Father is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. But the Father, Son, and Spirit are God. And so God is one, but He's three, but He's one, but He's three, but He's one. Another example, everybody take your Bible, hold, hold your Bible, or hold your phone, okay? Whichever is most important to you, right? This, these two items have dimensions. They have three dimensions, don't they? They have height, they have width, and they have length. If you remove any one of those dimensions, what happens? Well, matter falls apart, and you know the universe explodes. You can't have something without three dimensions in this world, and so that's just an, an illustration of what the Trinity is. It means that there's three people, but they're one. So this is, as I said, this was just made up like three or four hundred years after Jesus in some church, you know, conference. No, look at we've looked at Genesis, but now look at Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 48. God is talking. He says, I am he, I am the first, I am also the last. My own hand founded the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. From the beginning I have not spoken in secret from the time anything existed. I was there. And now, notice this, this gets strange. Because it was God talking, it was Genesis 1 kind of talk. I was there in the beginning, I did everything. But the speaker now says this, And now the Lord God has sent me and His Spirit. Say, wait a minute, I thought you just said, speaker, that you were God. And if you read in chapter 49, he uses the same kind of language. I thought you said that you were God, but now you're saying the Lord God, and then you're talking about the Spirit. What is he saying? There's a Trinity. John chapter 1, we get to the New Testament, it becomes clearer, this idea of the Trinity. John chapter 1, which also sounds like Genesis 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word is who? Who is the Word? Jesus. John 1 continues and tells us that. So here in John 1, we see the Word, Jesus, the Logos, is the same as the Father, but they are two different people, which kind of points us back to Genesis 1, doesn't it? There's a little hint there. Because God is there, the Father. We know the Spirit is like the drone. He's hovering, getting ready to do things. But how does God create? God speaks. The Word of God created everything. Who is the Word of God? Jesus. The Logos is there. So even in the uh, chapter 1, as we've seen, we see a picture of the Trinity. And then it just, it just becomes very clear through the life of Jesus. Matthew chapter 3, at the beginning of his... Um, of his uh, ministry on earth. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Father is speaking. Spirit is coming down like a dove and the Son, Jesus, is right there. All three. At the end of Jesus' ministry on earth, as he's giving us the great mission that we're to all do, Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of, he could have just said, God, make disciples of God. He could have said, just make disciples of me, Jesus, because I told you to follow me for three years. He could have said, make disciples of the Holy Spirit, because I told you in John 17, he's coming and you're all going to follow him. But instead, Jesus reemphasizes, make disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if we go to the last chapter of the book and the first chapter of the story, because the story gets a restart and we go off into eternity. Look at Revelation 22. The Trinity is there. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, that's Jesus. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. Both the Spirit and the bride, the church, say, come. Let anyone who hears say, come. Let anyone who's thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life freely. Church family, this is who our God is from the Word of God. And I've described who God is, who includes This next statement, God is a Father. God is the Father. And let's read this out loud together, our understanding. We've already described who the Father is, but there's more. This is who He is. Say it with me. We affirm that the Father is the first person of the Trinity and the source of all that God is and does. From Him, the Son is eternally generated, and from them, the Spirit eternally proceeds." He is the designer of creation, the speaker of revelation, the author of redemption, and the sovereign of history. You have a father. In the Old Testament, we don't see this very much. Two or three times, God says, I'm a father to Israel. But the main picture in the Old Testament is God is a husband to Israel, and Israel's not a really good wife. But you don't really see this father idea until you get to the New Testament, and then it explodes. You get to the book of John, and Jesus constantly is talking about, my father, my father, my father, my father, my father. But at the end of his life, look what he says, John 20, at the end of his ministry here. After he resurrects, and he appears to the women, he appeared to women first, he says, go to my, not my servants, not only just my friends, who he had said, you're my friends, but he says, go to my brothers, and tell them that I am sending to my God, my Father, and your Father, to my God and your God. You need to hear this. You have a Father. And I am so, so sorry that some of you have had a bad template in your life of what a Father is. You had a human father that was who abandoned, or abused you, or neglected you. And so when I say God is a father, you tend to do this, the father's going to get me. The father's going to abandon me. He won't be there for me. I'm sorry that the devil damaged you that way, but listen to me, church. Don't look away. Let the Lord give back what the devil stole from you. You need to lean in and understand, maybe through counseling or through study what a father, a good father is, because he loves you. Don't miss out on that. So who is God? Well, we could talk all day throughout eternity about who God is. But just some last things. Look at who God is. God is a spirit. The spirit of God, he is person, he is real, and he is spirit. God is self-existent. Self-existent means he doesn't need anybody to to generate him. God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything from anyone. He is self-sufficient. He is eternal. He didn't begin, and he didn't end. He won't end. Your God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's not everything, but he's everywhere, and you can't hide from him. Psalms 139 says, Our God is omnipotent, all-powerful. What kind of power do you need for Monday morning? God has it because He has all the power. Your God is omniscient. He knows everything. There's no hidden fact from Him. And it's a good thing because this next one says that God is wise. You may know someone who knows it all, but he doesn't know what to do with what he knows all, right? Our God does know it all, and He's wise about what to do with it. God is immutable. It means he doesn't change. You don't have to wonder, what kind of God are we going to have in 2022? Is Is he going to be like the 2018 God or the 2019 God? He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. Your God is sovereign. He is king. He is ruler, nothing outside of his domain. God is incomprehensible. He teaches about himself, he gets to know us, he's close to us, but we will never be able to wrap our human brains around God. If you could understand God, he wouldn't be God. God is holy. Not one speck of impurity, not one error, not one sin in his entire being. God is true. No fake news here. No, you don't have to do fact checking. God is the truth. God is faithful. I don't know who left you in 2021 or who's already let you down in 2022, but our God is faithful. God is merciful. He's not going to pay you back. He's not going to get revenge on you. He, He gives mercy, but he also gives grace. He is downloading gift cards and blessings from his eternal storehouses to his children. And last of all, God is, say it, God is love. God is love. Doctrine divides, but love conquers. We can't get to love unless we have studied all of these things about the truth of who we do love. And so church, is this your God? It's the Thomas Road God. It's the God of Scripture. But let me get more personal. Family, is this your family God? Or do you have other gods? And let me get real personal. Is this your personal God, sir, ma'am, boy, girl, young man, young woman? Is this your God? This God can be your God by believing on Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that he came to earth, lived a perfect life. He was crucified, died for your sins and mine, was buried And on the third day, raised himself up by his own power. And now the Bible teaches us, if we'll call on the name of Jesus, on the name of God, God, save me. I repent. By faith, I believe in you. He will save you. And this will be your God. And what a great way to start 2022. So, church, let's all stand together. I'm going to pray for us. Our pastors and counselors are down front here. As you head out today, please go get information about our life groups you know why get in a group because god is a group he has relationship and we are made in his image you need fellowship you need community but i want to pray for us and then we will sing our way out about our great god lord i pray that you would draw people even as we sing today if they want to come down and pray or just kneel before you again as the great god Lord, help all of us to make sure that you are our God, that we're not, we're not following another God. Yeah, I pray that if anyone needs salvation, they'll talk to us today. And for the rest of us, Lord, we just want to thank you for being the great, great God, a God that is strong enough, infinite enough, but intimate enough for us to walk with through this year and through the next several years of our lives and actually into eternity. Thank you, God. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise
2: Him, all creatures here below. We leave. I want to remind you that our pastors and our counselors are going to be here at the front. Today, we've talked about the importance of knowing who God is. Do not walk out of here if you do not know God as your God. You can be aware of God, you can have an understanding there is a God, you can, you know, hear about God, talk about God, you can read about God, you can study about God, but until you know God as your Father, and the only way to know God as your father is through his son, Jesus Christ, by believing that he is God's son, that he died and that he rose again for you. That's how we get there. And if you've never done that, our team is here. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to introduce you to the one that Matt talked about today, the one that God's word is all about, the one that will help you see exactly who he is and what he will do for you. So God bless you. Have a great day. Our altar is open. Connect out in Main Street. God bless you. Have a good one.
1: Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this new journey of faith in Jesus Christ. Send an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, we're here to help you. Just reach out to us and we'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. If you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.